You're listening to episode 47 of the Blended Family Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today for a special interview about PTSD and the blended family. Something I think a lot of people don't realize is that there are many, many things that can cause PTSD, and lots of times people are living with symptoms that are undiagnosed. So this conversation I had with Michelle was a real eye-opener for me, and I encourage you to listen, even if you think you don't know anyone struggling with this, because it's more common than you might think. Don't forget, you can always continue the conversation later in our private Facebook group at blendedfamilypodcast.com slash group. I'm also putting together another show dedicated to your questions. So if you have a question you want answered on a future show, please send them to me at melissa at blendedfamilypodcast.com. And last, I'd love for you to join my mailing list so I can keep you up to date on what's going on with the podcast. Just go to the website to sign up for that and you will get a free quiz to take to see where your blended family might need some help. Hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Welcome to the show. I am talking today with Michelle Rosenthal, and I've got a long bio here to read, but I really don't want to cut it short because it's quite impressive. Michelle inspires and guides audiences to overcome depression, anxiety, and fear as they rebuild their lives after trauma and adversity. A former faculty member of the Clinical Development Institute for Timberline Knowles Residential Treatment Center, Michelle is a popular keynote speaker, award-winning PTSD blogger, best-selling and award-nominated author, workshop seminar leader, and certified professional coach. She hosts the radio program Changing Direction and is the founder of HealMyPTSD.com. Michelle is also a trauma survivor who struggled with post-traumatic stress disorder for over 25 years. She then went on a healing rampage and is happy to tell you that while she thought the journey would never end, she was successful. Michelle is now 100% PTSD-free. Since her recovery several years ago, Michelle now dedicates her professional career to helping survivors, caregivers, and healing professionals learn about the effects of trauma and more efficiently navigate the recovery process. Winner of the Survivor Advocate Award and finalist for the Health Activist Hero Award, Michelle is a contributing editor for the neuroscience and personal development website, rewireme.com, a top health blogger for the stress management community on wellsphere.com, a trauma and PTSD columnist for healthyplace.com, and regularly contributes expert content to many websites and magazines. In her role as a mental health advocate, Michelle appears frequently in the media, including CBS, NBC, The Dennis Miller Show, Ladies Home Journal, St. Petersburg Times, Orlando Sentinel, The Palm Beach Post, and The Huffington Post. Michelle is the author of three books about trauma and recovery. So Michelle, I think you are the perfect person to have this conversation with today. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here. 
Melissa, thank you so much for having me and for understanding, as I know you do, how important it is to understand blended families, trauma, and PTSD, because what goes below the surface of family tensions is so important to not only understand, but to untangle. Absolutely. Now, when a lot of people think of PTSD, I think they automatically think of a war victim because that's most often what we hear about. But I know that there are many other causes. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what caused your PTSD? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great place to start. And I think one thing that we should really identify from the outset, even before my story, is how prevalent trauma and PTSD causes actually are. You're so right. I I think PTSD has a PR problem (laughs) because Mm -hmm. so often in the media, they only portray veterans. And I have great respect for and honor for our veterans. And I've worked with many of them. And so we, we know it's easy to see how PTSD could come from combat, for example. But the fact is that the PTSD population spans the universe. It's not solely relegated to the 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 veteran community. And that's because PTSD comes from a life-threatening trauma, which can be domestic violence, it can be sexual assault, it can be child abuse, it can be a life-threatening illness, a car accident, a freak fall, it can be a natural disaster. So when we start looking at what really causes post-traumatic stress disorder, we see that it's just trauma is across the board. It's a fact of life. So with that having been said, my own trauma was I was 13 years old, growing up in a very wonderful family, close, loving, we still are today. And at that time, in 1981, I was given an antibiotic for a regular, just general run-of-the-mill infection. And what happened shocked everybody. None of my doctors had ever seen what became of me. I took this antibiotic and I had an allergic reaction to it that essentially turned me into a full body burn victim. My body just wasn't able to metabolize whatever was, you know, sulfa basically, which was what the antibiotic was made of. And so it sent it out through the skin. And so after a few weeks in a quarantine burn unit hospital room, I lost 100% of the first two layers of skin. And today, when people have this, and it's very rare, but when people have this kind of reaction, they're immediately put into a coma, which I think is probably preferable to living through (laughs) the weeks of what the illness does. Um, But by the time I came out of the hospital, I knew I was going to make a full physical recovery. I mean, I have scars, I have issues, but nothing that would prevent me from living a regular life. But Melissa, when you think about yourself at 13, what kind of coping skills do you have for that kind of trauma? Yeah, that's, that's really tough. We really don't. And I just did not bounce back. So within you know, a couple of weeks and then definitely over the next six to 12 months, symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder popped up immediately. Insomnia, a recurring nightmare related to my trauma, anxiety. I had been told that I would not survive this again. Mm -hmm. So the doctors made it very clear, you'd better make sure this doesn't happen again. And so, you know, you're 13 years old. How do you make sure your body (laughs) doesn't betray you? How do you make sure you're safe? And and really, I think that's the, the hardest part of what trauma does is it takes away your sense of safety and control and puts in place fear and uncertainty. And 
you know, that's really the powerlessness of that mindset is where PTSD roots and then grows. Yeah, and I'm guessing that your family wasn't even aware of everything that you were going through or definitely couldn't put a name on it at that point. No, that's a, you're so right, because in 1981, when this happened to me, PTSD had only just become a clinically diagnosable issue in 1980. And at that time, it was only being you know, appropriately identified in the military community. It grew out of the support groups of Vietnam veterans. So not that it didn't exist before then, but clinicians finally started to give it a name and and give it a diagnostic criteria because of that. And so nobody in 1981, a year later, was looking at a civilian kid with a medical trauma and saying, oh, you have classic PTSD symptoms. It actually would be 24 years before anybody identified what was wrong with me. And in the time in between, I just thought I was insane. The mood swings, the sleeplessness, the anxiety, the persistent depression that I could not climb out of, the rage, all, you know, the spontaneous crying for no reason, and the the nightmares that kept going on and on, all of the things that were classic PTSD symptoms, I just thought was who I was, especially because it was who I grew into. So, So at the time that we're kids and we're defining who we are, I was a survivor first, you know? 13, that's what defined me. And so by the time I was an adult with all these problems, I just thought that's who I was. And I used to tell myself, you know, some people in this world are are meant to be crazy, and you're one of them. So just accept it. Wow. That's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that with us. We're going to get to your recovery here in just a little bit. But before we do, um, I just wanted to tie in, you know, this, this show, of course, is about blended families. And I'm sure that parenting with PTSD is extremely challenging, but for my listeners who are managing a blended family, I imagine it's even more difficult. So can you talk a little bit about the added complexities a blended family faces when someone is dealing with PTSD? Absolutely. I think one of the most important or one of the most obvious ways that would be is when you're blending a family, each family comes together, they've already had time to establish their family patterns and rhythms with how they deal with stress, how they deal with challenges and problems. And then you blend a family together. And I think one of the biggest challenges is how do you all come together as a unit and deal with something of this nature. And so that that's one area is figuring out how do we all work with this together, taking one family style and another family style and bringing it together to make one cohesive style. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing is that you can have, um, you have two different options, right? You have a blended family that comes together with PTSD already there and a blended family that experiences something that creates PTSD in one or more of the members. And so in both of those situations, it's going to be a matter of, you know, what I really think it all comes down to, which is education and compassion, because you need to understand what's going on for that one family member. Obviously, if, if the person affected is a member of family A and family B, that they all come together and family C, but family V has to be able to open their heart to be compassionate to a person that's not someone they've known forever necessarily. And so it's moving into a space of compassion to embrace what's happening and to be willing to understand 
and this is where the education part comes in, that trauma and PTSD change a body and a brain and a whole psychology and approach to life. So you're going to see how this plays out, not only in symptoms, but also in choices and behaviors and other things that affect the lifestyle of the whole family. Yeah, that's why I think your work is just so very important to educate people. Now, when I was reading the book, I noticed that you have steps and exercises that help someone get through the recovery process. And I also noticed that much of it involves both traditional and alternative components. So can you talk about this method and why this approach works? Definitely. Heal Your PTSD is really a book about 200 strategies. And the reason, actually, I think it's more than, we set out for 200 and I think I went overboard. But um, my real desire with Heal Your PTSD was to create a book that could be a sort of choose your own adventure. In recovery, there is no one way to heal PTSD. We're all so different. So we each have to find what works for us, what resonates for us. So often there are clinicians and treatment approaches that say, well, you have to do it this way. Well, if that way doesn't work for you, then what? Are you left unable to heal. That's been traditionally what survivors have been stuck with. But what we know now in terms of the traditional and the alternative approaches, and and the reason I put them together in this book, is that they work very well together. And here's why. Your brain is part conscious mind and part subconscious mind. But it's not a 50-50 split. The conscious mind is only 12% of your brain. So that's where you and I are talking right now, the 12% that's rational and analytical and short-term memory and loves the English language. And that's fantastic. The problem is that the 88% that's your subconscious mind, which holds all of your memories from before you're born until today, which also forms all of your basic assumptions about the world and your belief system, that subconscious mind is not logical and analytical. It's symbolic and metaphorical. It likes stories. It does not speak English. It speaks in pictures and feelings. And so to address PTSD wholly and effectively, it's my belief. I see this in my practice as I work with with PTSD survivors. I saw this in my own recovery and I've studied extensively. I think the reason that it's important to put together traditional and alternative practices is because the traditional practices really address the conscious mind and the alternative practices really effectively address the subconscious mind. And when you put them together, you have 100% of your brain working on recovery instead of just 12% or 88%. And I think that is what really gives us power in recovery because we're we're utilizing all of our brain's capacities. And also, it gives us a way to flow from one side to the other, from right brain to left brain and back, which gives you a chance to repair and to restore. It's a process, PTSD recovery itself is a process that's enormously challenging and exhausting. So if you do it only in one way, you can sort of hit a wall. And when you hit that wall, it's nice to have another way to continue to go at it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Okay, now you talk about going on a healing rampage. So I definitely want you to talk a little bit about your healing rampage and what exactly does that mean? 
Well, a healing rampage to me is no holds barred, uh, making the commitment, I'm going all the way no matter what it takes. So that's where it starts. A rampage starts with that commitment. And then it gains momentum by full force charging ahead, trying everything. Because since we, there is no prescription for PTSD recovery, you know, I, I so wanted during my, my recovery process to find somebody that would say, look, if you just do A, B, and C, you'll be fine. But it's not like that. We each have to find whatever unlocks the key to our freedom. And so a rampage is about trying everything. And more importantly, it's a mindset. It's that mindset of saying, I'm going all the way no matter what it takes. And the mindset of saying, I'm open to trying anything. If it might even possibly work, I will do it. And and so, for example, in my own recovery, I use 10 different modalities and techniques and treatment approaches, and not all of them worked. You know, some were really bad. Some threw me off the deep end of the abyss of depression deeper than I was. So it's not that you're always successful. A healing rampage is about committing to going through the darkness, no matter how it presents itself. And continuing on because you believe so deeply there is a light and you are going to be determined to reach it. Wow, I really like that. Now, on my podcast, I always focus on bringing like joy and peace into the home. I'm a lot about the joy and the peace. And I know that joy was a large part of your healing process. So can you please talk about why joy is important to you and how it helps to overcome PTSD? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, our brains are hardwired for joy. That joy is innate in us is something you can see in even the tiniest little child, an infant that's born. They automatically know how to smile. They just do because that is part of what we are physiologically driven toward is to feel good. So with that in mind, my own coming upon how powerful joy can be in recovery came from a day of such utter despair. I, I was just, just shy of deciding that's it, I'm, I'm done here, and it would be better just to check out than to have to live another day this way. And this little voice in me said, you know, what you really need is to feel the opposite of all this despair. And Naturally, you know, who knows why you come up with things in the moment that you need them. I I thought, well, the opposite of that would be joy. And I really didn't even think that that was possible for me. But I made the commitment, okay, I'm going to try to feel joy every day, not for like hours on end, but for 30 seconds. If I could just tap into something. And essentially what joy is, Melissa, is it's life affirming. And that's why it's so powerful. Because I did go on this little joy quest and I did make a point of tapping into it every day. And little by little, what starts to happen is you start creating new neural pathways around the idea of joy and the feelings associated with it. And they're weak at first. They're small, right? It's not like you have this big epiphany and you start to feel better. But over time and the way the brain works is that the more often you activate a neural pathway, the stronger it becomes, the more real estate that whole pathway that it's connected to takes up in the brain to the point that you can start shifting how you feel just by activating a different feeling over and over 
over and creating a new habit out of that. And so what Joy did for me, and I've written about this in, in my first book, Before the World Intruded, was all about how I created my recovery. I did this literally, I knew when I dance, I feel joyful. And so I signed up for a dance class every day of the week. And what happened over a series of weeks where I started to sleep better, I started to wake up not feeling quite so depressed every morning. In fact, I was looking forward to my class that day, which was a huge shift. I never woke up looking forward to something. And the more confidence I gained in my ability to feel joy and the more joy flooded my my body, let's be serious, every feeling that you have comes from a thought in your mind and the chemical reaction that that thought creates and the sensation in your body that that creates. And all of that changes your body chemistry. So you can go from having a lot of stress hormones to having a lot of mood-enhancing endorphins and other neurotransmitters that, without your even trying that hard, shift your mood and can really impact your ability to heal. Yeah, so for the listeners that are, are wondering how they tap into that, what you're saying is find whatever it might be that brings you the smallest amount of joy. And for you, it was dance. For somebody else, it might be going to the beach or reading or, you know, talking to a loved one. So any little thing that brings you joy, you just say to tap into that a little bit each day. A little bit. And you're so right. It could be anything. And it can be for 30 seconds, literally to form a new path, neural pathway in your brain. 20 seconds is all it takes of experiencing any feeling. I like the idea of 30 seconds because I like it. I like to be sure it's solid. Yeah. (laughs) But 30 seconds. But I give this, this challenge to every client that I work with and the things that they've come up with have been amazing. One of my clients, it's, it's being on a jet ski. So he goes to jet ski every day. Another of my clients, she loves riding her Harley through the back roads of California. So everybody comes up with whatever speaks to them that makes them feel some measure of joy. And we should say this, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's not like you feel a 10, like the most awesome joy ever, every time or ever, you know? That's not the point. You could be at a 1. That's plenty. You could be at a 0.25. That would be a plenty high enough place to start from. Yeah, as long as you're improving from the lowest point, as long as you go a little higher than that. And I think that's a good practice for anybody, honestly, to do. Um, You know, blended families are tough and we all feel down sometimes and we all have bad days. And of course, not on the level of PTSD survivors, but that's just a good practice for everybody to get into. And Michelle, if you could give one tip to a survivor on how to overcome their PTSD, what would it be? Oh, I would say it's one tip, but three steps. Would that be okay? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So um, the first thing I would say, getting over anything, you have to start from ground zero. And ground zero is just being open to the hope that things can change. Because so often we forget how important our approach is, our attitude, and our belief system. And we go into things saying, well, I don't think this can happen. Well, if you don't think it's going to happen, then you're not going to be open to the creativity it's going to take to make it happen. So most important tip, start with just being open to the hope that things can change. And then step number two, find ways to turn that hope into a belief. So instead of looking around and saying, well, here are all the reasons why it won't work, look for just one reason 
you believe it will work. Mm. So we have hope and we layer it with belief. And then the next level to me is getting back to something we said earlier. I can't emphasize enough how important education is. Understanding what has happened to you and why you are experiencing PTSD is critical. Mostly, I think, because we blame ourselves and we feel alien in our own bodies and minds. And there are real reasons, scientific reasons, that we feel that way. And understanding this is not our fault. This is a normal reaction to a very abnormal experience. We can start to have compassion and sympathy for ourselves and in that space start looking for, well, since this isn't my fault, let me just focus on fixing it. Hmm. And and that can be a much more powerful place to be because it's very easy to be hypercritical and very self-critical and judgmental in the midst of PTSD symptoms. And that's and that's that's very detrimental to recovery. And in fact, it's not even fair because it's not like we chose this. And for all the people that always say, well, why can't you just let it go already? Well, we can't let it go because it's part of our chemistry, it's part of our biology. All that can be changed. But it starts by understanding the origin of the change. Mm. Okay. And so let's circle back to the family now. What would you say is the best way for family members to help their loved one recognize or cope with their PTSD? And is that even something that we can attempt to do or it has to come from the survivor themselves? Well, that is a loaded question. I know. (laughs) All right, let's look at it from both sides because for the family unit to really function, everybody needs to be okay. Otherwise, all the energy drains out coping with the one person who's not okay. So from the family perspective, everybody's going to want to jump in and say, here's what you need to do. You know, not the dreaded, just get over it already, but Mm -hmm. here's how we're going to help you. Here's what we can do to support you. And I think it's really the attitude of the family coming together that is really that that is important in creating the right atmosphere for recovery. So that means not judging, not criticizing, but saying, hey, look, we understand and here are your options. The biggest thing a family can do is research the options because a survivor's head is spinning and it's very hard to see straight. It's hard to concentrate. We're sleep deprived. We can't make decisions a lot of the time. So we we don't... uh, process information well. So what a family can do is say, hey, look, we've researched this. Here's what's happening to you. Here's what you know, people say work. And let's figure out which one you want to try. So for the family, it's having the supportive ideas and the education. On the survivor side, and this gets to the point you were sort of making with your question, you can't force anyone to heal. Right. Because recovery is terrifying and managing with symptoms is exhausting. So in both of those areas, we are left depleted. And sometimes the most we can do is just get through the day. I know for myself, it would have been much easier for my family, blended or not, if I had accepted help much earlier than I did. Um, But my parents tried. They tried so hard to get me into therapy and 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 I kicked and screamed and went berserk until everybody just said, you know what, let's just leave her alone. <laughs> 
So, so, uh, but then the thing is, Melissa, when I was ready, when I hit rock bottom and there was no place else to go, that's when I really brought my game to recovery and got it done. So I think it's sort of a balance between the family offering support and ideas and education and the survivor getting to a moment where they say, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. Well, that's, that's extremely helpful, I think, for the listeners there. Um, and I've got one last question for you, Michelle. As a survivor yourself, what do you wish family members could understand about the recovery process? Mm. You know, on the HealMyPTSD.com website, we have 10 things that families and friends really need to understand about PTSD. (laughs) So you're so right. That's such a great question because I think when we bridge the divide of communication, it's enormously helpful. So I think one of the most important things is to understand we're not doing this on purpose. It's very easy from the outside to look at someone with PTSD and, and to judge them and say, well, I wouldn't be acting like that or I'd be over it by now, but we're all so unique in our response to trauma. And based on, you know, just who we are naturally when we're born, but also the experiences we have between birth and our trauma, all of that builds up and impacts us in ways that affect how we deal with trauma and the after effects. So I I think one of the most important things to to answer the question that you asked is to have an attitude of respect and to understand nobody's doing this on purpose and at the same time to appreciate that it takes time to heal. Even when somebody gets into the recovery process, there's a tendency to say, well, do it faster, do it faster, or you're doing so great. You could be done in a week, and it, it doesn't happen like that. So, so I think the, the most important thing is just to understand that you're dealing with something that doesn't have structure. So the best way to approach it all together is with an attitude of openness saying, we don't know what's coming, but we're going to stick together and figure it out. Great. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show to share your personal story of your journey from your experience with PTSD through your recovery. Listeners, if you or a loved one is struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder, I urge you to check out Michelle's book, Heal Your PTSD, and the website. Sounds like you've got some valuable information on there. Or you can check out one of her other books, her recovery memoir, Before the World Intruded, Conquering the Past and Creating the Future, or Your Life After Trauma, Powerful Practices to Reclaim Your Identity. Michelle, any final words of advice you'd like to share? And can you tell the listeners how to find you? Absolutely. And we'll do that all in one because the HealMyPTSD.com website has all the things that you mentioned and something else. We cover all the symptoms of PTSD on one page so it's easy to see them. And we have a self-test. So if you or someone in your family you thinks that they might be dealing with PTSD, there's a great self-test on the HealMyPTSD.com website under the symptoms tab that will start to give you some structure to all that we've been talking about today. And from there, we've got podcasts about recovery, a free webinar series about how trauma affects the brain, everything that you might need to know in terms of, okay, well, where do we go from here? 
And I just want to say in closing, Melissa, thank you so much for caring about this because the more we all talk and share about these ideas and the information, the more survivors will have an easier time moving forward. Well, great. Of course. I'm so happy to have had you on the show. And as always, for the listeners, I will be posting all of Michelle's links on the show notes for you. So thank you again, Michelle. And I will be back next week with another show on the Blended Family Podcast. Bye. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.